Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud, Thursday edition with Nurse Michelle. I have a special guest with me today that's going to talk with me about patient advocacy. And we're going to be discussing that because if you recall, last week on my show, I had a educator named Vicki Strine, who was a COVID vaccine injured person. And I told you how important it was that you, if you have been in the hospital for any reason since 2020, if you've been in the hospital for anything, that something went wrong, if you're a COVID vaccine injured person, if you were in the hospital with COVID, or if you were in the hospital with anything wrong at all during 2020 through 2023, you must go to the hospital and get your records. And I told you I was going to give you some details on how to do that. I'm not going to spend the entire show on that. I'm just going to do a quick reminder that you need to go to the hospital, ask for, go to medical records and fill out a release of records document that you're going to just check off that you're getting for your personal reasons or for continuing care. It's none of their business while you're getting it. It's yours to have, get it as soon as possible. If you have a loved one who did pass away during the 2020 pandemic, we what we want you to realize is that your loved one's last testimony on this earth, their last act of righteousness is left inside their medical record for you. It's like a burning torch sitting there exposing the darkness of what actually went down inside that hospital. It's all in writing and you've got to get it out as soon as possible because people do change records and that is happening actively. So get those records. And when you get at home, start sorting it into categories and putting yourself a file together by labs, nurses, note, doctors, notes, imaging, et cetera. You're going to have multiple categories and then you can reach out to Nurses Out Loud and we'll give you a list of lawyers who are willing to advocate for you and help you fight the battle for justice of what went down inside of the medical system. Now, today's special guest is Melissa Molemfi and she lives in New York State and is a a master's clinical psychologist or a clinical psychologist with a master's. I'm not sure which order it goes in, but she has had to become a, what I'm going to call a code gray patient advocate. And even as a nurse, I didn't actually know what code gray actually meant. And it basically means problem patient or problem person. Okay. So she was once upon a time, the patient, and she was having to advocate for herself And she found out she got herself labeled a code gray. And that meant she was a problem. And you would think that a problem would be maybe a drug addict or somebody who's combative or maybe somebody who's right out of jail who's being a bit of a problem. But apparently in our present medical system, a problem person is somebody who dares to think they have a way to advocate for themselves or some somebody that they dare to actually think they know what's going on. And in the course of today's interview, I will, you know, I'll bring up a unique situation that's happening right now. I've got a family that has a recently MMR vaccinated child 
three days prior and ends up with what looks like measles on their little two-year-old. And I'm making sure the parents understand you are 100% right in all your observations. They are obligated to write them down in the record and you make sure they do. And you can fire anybody at any given time. You can tell them never to come in your room again, just to empower the patients. But Melissa is, I think the best word right now that I'll use is a besides code gray patient advocate is she's a, a person who's learned to be the bulldog for people that are her loved ones and for people who are just not getting justice dealt with for them. And she's written a book that we're going to make sure is part of the um, America Out Loud bookstore that we'll talk about here today as well. But welcome today, Melissa, for coming in. And let's let's just jump right in and tell us how you feel like you, you can tell me first a little bit about your history and then how you actually got woken up to be a patient advocate. Um, like everything, sometimes you, um, you learn the hard way. Uh, I took on this role cause my mom was very sick, uh, in 2010 and diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And, um, there were a lot of medical mistakes that happened during her care, um, roughly once a month, uh, of her eight month journey. And, um, you know, my family and I had to learn the hard way, um, to find our voice, um, you know, in the system and, and. I ultimately wrote a book about it um, to try and shed light on one ovarian cancer, but also, you know, the roles family takes, the role of a patient advocate. And each chapter I end with what I learned the hard way, what you need to do as an advocate and um, things that I would do differently if I had the opportunity. So I, I you know, to, to answer your question, it started um, in 2010 and has just grown and you know, then 2020 happens and everything, you know, went to hell in a handbag. So now it's even more necessary. The title of the book is what? Not in vain, a promise kept. Not in vain, a promise kept. So what's the story behind that title? You know, um, in this, this one day she had, uh, you know, three months after she was diagnosed, she had bilateral, um, DVTs and pulmonary embolism. She was in the cardiac unit and, um, I, it was late. I was there after work and um, one of the residents came in and asked her what her DNR, um, you know, what, what her uh, healthcare proxy was. And my mom was jacked up on Ativan and pain meds. And she said, well, if there's no hope, I don't want anything. And with that, he took his clipboard and left. And I said, ma, I said, you just told him if you have a cardiac arrest tonight, you don't want to be saved. She goes, no, I didn't. I said, yes, you did. And I had him come back in. I said, sir, what did you hear? And he goes, she's, she's, doesn't want anything. No, no resuscitation. I said, absolutely not. I said, if she has anything happen to her, what she meant to say is she doesn't want a feeding tube. She doesn't want to be on a vent. God forbid something like that happens. I said, you know, you, you really need to understand what your patient is saying. And with that, he updated everything and, and left, but then it got worse. Um, as I'm leaving, I, I happened to look on her wrist. She had multiple IVs and the bracelet had the wrong name on it. And that's, that's your medical record. That's that, that's your meds. That's your diagnosis. That's your allergies. That's everything. And I still remember the name, but for the woman's privacy, I'm not going to say it. And it was late at night and the head nurse came in and, you know, she got rid of that real quick. And I, you know, I didn't take a picture of it. I, I did tell the patient advocate at the hospital. And during my mom's illness, I was in constant contact with the patient advocate. However, um, they're on the same payroll as the hospital. So, they can only go so far. They're just the messengers for um, 
the the C-suite and there's not a lot they can do except apologize. And quite frankly, this particular hospital, I'm tired of getting apology letters from them because they've harmed myself, they harmed my father and they harmed my mother. And they're about to learn very quickly that it's not okay. And four apology letters deep, it's not going to work anymore. I'm tired of my family being your lessons and um, it's not acceptable. So you're saying that you're bringing litigation to them? Yes. So how long after these um, bad stories have you decided, how long did it take you to come to the place of I'm going to litigate? Um, after my dad, uh, well, let's just talk about my dad real quick. Um, he was um, 81 years old. He had congestive heart failure for 19 years, which is great, a gift, because usually that diagnosis you last five to 10 Um he started pulling fluids in the middle of December and, you know, he was admitted and um, he was diagnosed with end stage CHF. Um, he was discharged. Um, and, you know, we, we were, you know, he just felt like he needed the medication and he was going to be good. My dad was very strong. He never asked for any help from anybody, the whole thing. Um, unfortunately on Christmas, um, my sister and I were there with him and his defibrillator pacemaker went off three times that we knew of, we called the ambulance that came and he was going into VTAC and um, he spent the night in the emergency room um, and uh, finally got admitted to the floor on the 26th. Um, on the 26th, we spoke to the social worker and hospice and the, the clinical staff and told them that um, he wanted to go home. Um, we needed hospice, we needed help. Um, they just never got back to us. They dodged us. I followed up continuously. He even had a ride. He was a 50-year fireman. They even had a ride in the ambulance to bring him home. His wish was to go home. A um, couple of days later, still nothing's happening, and he's starting to show pain. And my dad would never admit to pain because that's the kind of man he was. And um, at one point, uh, they did a an x-ray in, in the room and to see if he had fractured his rib when he fell on Christmas and he hadn't, but he was in significant pain. Um, uh, a physician gave him um, dilaudid and it basically nar narcotized him the entire day. He was out. He never took any kind of narcotic like that. However, again, um, you know, my sister and I were trying to get him home. And uh, finally I told my sister, I said, I'm going to, you know, I kept knocking on the hospice coordinator's door and, you know, everything was, no, nope, we don't have answers. We don't have answers. We don't have answers. So I said, watch. I said, I'm going to go put myself by the elevator. And at 430 is the end of the day. And she's going to be leaving. And she still hasn't got back to us. Now we're three days into waiting. And um, sure as hell, I go to the elevator. And there she is with her pocketbook and her jacket. And she's leaving. I'm like, excuse me, remember me? You know, the one that keeps begging for help. Um, what, what do you got? What, what are we doing here? And and she, now, now she can't leave because now I'm in her face. And she gave us a private room and I told my sister, I said, Alicia, we're not going home. And she's like, yes, we are. I said, we're not going home. I said, I could feel it. And what had happened was um, he started actively dying uh, um, on the 29th. You could see it, you know, and everything that goes with it. And it was horrifying. And um, the doctor never put in in palliative care, even though it was in the record on the 27th, um, never put in the orders for comfort meds. So I sat for 48 hours uh, watching my father suffer, actively die, and it was horrifying. And um, 
are you saying without comfort meds? He did not. Absolutely. He had nothing. He had nothing, nothing. And in fact, when he started to get the end stage secretions, AKA the death gurgle, um, we, we told the nurse, um, cause we had seen it with my mother and she said it was coming from his chest. It absolutely wasn't coming from his chest. She was trying to buy time and you know, her hands were tied. I, I get it, but they finally called the overnight doctor and he called in, uh, a pill of Ativan. My dad lost the ability to swallow. He can't, well, that's not going to do anything. So the next morning, uh, at eight o'clock, the head nurse walked in and I had my head in his hands and I was holding him and the whole night was horrifying. And, um, she had the nerve to say to me, I wish you and your sister had made this choice yesterday. And at that point, my head just exploded. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We made it on the 26th. It's the morning of the 30th. He is suffering. And I, 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 that, that was that code gray came out in me then that New Yorker came out in me then. And she left the room very quickly. Palliative care came up. It was a nurse practitioner. And she took one look at me. She took one look at my dad. And she's like, I'll, I'll, I'll call on the medication now. And I just looked at her and I said, I was just so tired. I hadn't slept. I'm like, when? She's like, five minutes. I said, no, really, when? And it was about an hour and 15 minutes later, which I, after what I had seen, it it, it was horrible enough. Um, but they, they finally called him in. And, um, you know, that helped. But, you know, I put a downloaded his records immediately uh, from the portal, marked everything up, um, wrote a six-page letter to the head of the hospital, the CEO. And, um, you know, just, it, it's not even like there's there's no, they, they have, there's nothing they could say that is in their favor. They did not manage his pain. They did not adhere to the patient bill of rights. They did not do the standards of care. They didn't, not, none of it. And, and this was in what year? Was this in the pandemic? No, this was the end of, this was December 30th, 2023. This was, no, yeah. 2022, last year. Yeah. Right. We're still in that post-COVID era going on. And you probably had to have testing in a New York hospital to even be able to be in there. What, what did you have to produce to be able to even be with your father? You know what? At this time, they did, they did, I did not have to be vaccinated in December of 2022, but they wanted us to wear masks on the floor and stuff like that. And, you know, it, just to be honest with you, um, I, you know, I, I took it off in the room and, uh, you know, you had to walk around the hallways like that. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, a nurse might say, oh, you know, you have to do this. Hey, so, I, you know, I don't want to make other people sick, but at the same time, it's all crap and we know it. Um, but the, the, the bigger thing is that, you know, this was preventable. My dad's suffering was preventable. The meds were two floors up. And because somebody did not put in the orders, um, I'm tired of being this hospital's teachable moment. Um, they wrote back to me and, and said, you know, we did mess up. I'm, I'm paraphrasing in managing his pain. Um, we just started offering hospice to our community, which is crap because on their website, they got an award in 2019 for it and palliative care. So it's, it's just, it, it's too much, you know, um, and you it's said just that, too much. Yeah. She's navigating the healthcare system is a nightmare for anybody. But if you at least have a medical background, there's some degree of knowledge that you have that you can at least know what to advocate for. But anybody here, she is a clinical psychologist, somebody who is at least familiar with the human body and, and the care of humans. 
And if you've been called into the medical profession at all in any capacity, you're part of a generation that has been called to relieve the suffering and oppressed of your generation. And if you're not a person who feels like I'm being called to end suffering or have solutions or be a part of the research or have hands on care, if you're going into it for some other reason, you're part of the problem in the in the profession. We need people who are genuinely being called for this because it is a, a profession of advocacy for people. It's a profession for people who want to help. So here she is in a, a, a building full of supposedly people who are co- supposed to be committed to ending suffering and uh, relieving the oppressed. But the system is so broken. And it sounds like your book is exposing the brokenness of the system. And it's and, and there's two things that I learned about you before this. I'm not sure which one came first, your mother's passing or your own surgery during 2020 plus that mm-hmm. something happened medically, but you've been through a lot of crap. So let's, let's find out where the um, advocate was really born in you and where that started that you were ready for this when your dad's situation came to fight. Yeah, it was, it was born in 2010 uh, when my mom got diagnosed with ovarian um, and it was, it, it came out again um, with my own issues. I've, I've had a bunch of autoimmune stuff. I've Crohn's, I've had a lot of surgeries. When I had my son, um, he was four weeks early. I had him at 39. He was absolutely a miracle. My husband and I had lost, uh, had a lot of losses and I was told I could never have kids. And, um, you know, I went to get a, a medical procedure and they spun my urine and they said, you're pregnant. And I said, it's, it's impossible. I said, both my tubes, I've had two ectopics. I was told this would never happen and um, they spun it again and there was my miracle. I was high risk. Um, You know, I had him at 39 and uh, it was an emergency C-section because he had the cord around his neck three times and it was around his foot. So he was like choking himself out. But when they did the surgery, when they got him out, um, they cut my bowel in half by accident. So I became septic. So you know, the good news is they saved my son's life. They saved my life. Um, so where I'm going is that I've had a bunch of abdominal issues, um, for, for years. And in 2020, um, I had really bad, um, stomach pain and usually, uh, you know, I I've had a bunch of stuff, so I'm tough. I don't go to the doctor. I don't like going to hospitals. And, um, my husband brought me to the emergency room and he and my son, um, could not come in. And actually he got into an argument with security because the hospital of course was full and it was so bad that I was shaking um, and and puking at the same time. They put me in a wheelchair and he's like, listen, this is not just a um, somebody that needs stitches. She, there's something really wrong. And I knew there was something really wrong, but so eventually they triage took me. Um, I was, I was given a room. Uh, they COVID tested me. And, you know, they, uh, you know, I was constantly throwing up and um, they did an endoscopy around midnight and they said, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with her. She's fine. Discharge her. So at about two o'clock in the morning that they came in with my discharge papers, it said patient has no abdominal pain. Um, She's, she's fine. And, and at that point um, I learned what a code gray was because I, said some expletives and I said, this is blanking ridiculous. And at that point, the nurse said, you're not going to get anywhere like that. You, you know, um, we're not going to tolerate that, blah, blah, blah. Patient is yelling at staff, as it says in my, my records, but I was dying. Um, the good news is when I got up to go to the bathroom after they took off all my vitals, um, I passed out. And when I woke up, the same nurse that was code grade me 
um, was on one side of me with another nurse on the other side of me flooding my body with fluids because I was tachycardic at about uh, 140 beats per minute. And my uh, blood pressure was 70 over 30. And um, they were able to resuscitate me. I got admitted. The hospitalists had to come down and change the entire record of what the PA said. It said um, patient has no abdominal pain. He wrote patient is in excruciating abdominal pain. I've ordered a stat, CAT scan, blah, blah, blah. Next morning, I get a CAT scan. Everything's starting to fail. All of my organs are starting to fail. Um, they're very nervous. I get the CAT scan. Thankfully, a trauma surgeon came in and... Um, it was something out of like Grey's Anatomy. They were running me down the hallway. I have a lot of hair. They put the thing on my head. The nurses were wonderful. They they actually started a port in my uh, bicep. And I woke up two days later in intensive care and I had what they called gastric volvulus. My stomach had flipped completely and pulled off my spleen and I was bleeding out. Um, they were able to fix it. They saved my life. Um, however, if I had not passed out, I would have not woken up when my husband, my, they've already, they already told me that if you went home and you, you would have died at home, we, you wouldn't have made it through the night because of that. My red blood cell count was a two. I needed six transfusions. Um, but they said I was fine and that was not okay. Um, no, so again, I think this is a great moment to say, uh, I just recently had to say to a family who has that measles child right now, three days after the MMR vaccine, that you must remember that you are always right when you communicate. Like if you are saying, I experience whatever you say you're experiencing, do not let a bully medical person try to convince you. Otherwise, you if you don't have it, like the patient advocate was taken away from the bedside. And what people don't realize is that, yes, a hospital does have a so-called so, so, uh, so patient advocate that's supposed to come in there and help you. And you should definitely engage a patient advocate, but they're paid by the hospital. Right. So you don't have a loved one beside you that's either a bulldog that's going to fight for you. You may be literally alone to have to fight for yourself. And I told them, remember, like if you're doing this for your child, you birth that child out of you. Nobody can intimidate you. You are the superior in the room. You know your child the best. You know yourself the best. And if you think anything is abnormal, you are always right. And you must always keep saying what needs to be said. And I said to the father, don't let anybody even attempt to imitate intimidate either one of you and you can fire a doctor you can fire a nurse and the nice way to do it is we're going to need that doctor or nurse to be replaced thank you mm -hmm. but if you're really dealing with a serious jerk you literally just say to the person's face you're fired don't come back in my room you're off my child's case or off my case and the, in a moment when you are the patient and this severe, you're literally dying. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to be an advocate. And if you're out there as a person who's considering going into the medical field, your primary role is advocacy for your patient. You are to protect the patient. You're to make sure the patient gets safe meds. They get the meds appropriately. And then they're not, you're relieving suffering. That was the opposite of what was happening to you. And this was in the, right before the pandemic in 2019. No, no, this was October 2020. So I was absolutely alone and and quite frankly terrified. And and I was so sick that, you know, I, I tried my best to let them know, listen, this is something is really wrong. But, you know, again, um, some I, thankfully I passed out. If I didn't pass out, I would have died at home. And then, you know, how to at that time my son was 10, you know, how had how, how would he have managed? You exactly. know? 
I was hospitalized in May of 2020 myself with internal bleeding. And I remember that feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going into the hospital during a worldwide pandemic. Am I going to come out of here? Am I going to catch that disease? Yeah. We didn't really know what we were dealing with in early 2020. It was a very frightening time, even for those of us who became fighters in the end. When you're the patient, you're just trying to survive your own medical complication. And it, for my sake, um, that would end up being the first one of the first introductions. But like yourself, I had already had a lifelong of major medical problems and a lot of life things that had happened to me that were very bad, that in those situations, those things apparently prepared me. And when I felt like the Lord was really calling me to do this advocacy for COVID, I remember thinking, well, I'm a retired nurse, Lord. There's people that are better for this position. But honestly, Melissa, and I would say for myself as well, Nurse Michelle, it is literally the suffering of our past that prepared us for what we're having to fight for today and advocate for. So here she's having to survive that you, you survive by the skin of your teeth yep. and then, and your mother, you had um, already had to advocate for her mm-hmm. and you and the title of your book definitely indicates that there was a pro- a promise cut. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that story is with that? Yeah. You know, my mom was from um, a generation called the silent generation. Um, she was in 2010, she was 68 if you look up the silent generation, they um, were not, they're not doctor goers. My mom um, didn't go <clears throat> to doctors unless she had to. Um, very strong woman. In fact, the day before we brought her to the emergency room, she was a waitress. She waited tables for 40 years. Um, one night we were, I was in, cause I used to go after work to visit her in the hospital. My sister would go during the day. I would go at night. Cause you always, you really need to have someone there. If you can, I tell everybody that. And um you know, she just said to me, um, you know, Missy, don't, don't be like me, you know, don't ignore stuff. Um, you know, and, and that's what the, the promise kept is, you know, um, it, it's, it's, you know, a conversation we had late at night where, you know, she was trying to tell me, you know, if something is wrong, make sure you get help. Don't ignore it because my mom was walking around with a 23 centimeter mask for probably months and wearing extra large sweatshirts. So we never saw it. Um, and then, um, you know, the not in vain part was, you know, I'm going to take my mom's story and what my family has been through to help others. So hopefully they will learn something and not go through what we have gone through. Um, and I'm doing that in many ways, um, you know, whether it be social media, whether it be in writing, whether it be in blogs, um, whether it be in media, um, you know, and then every once in a while, you got to do it for yourself. And I've, I've had to do it just recently. Um, at the end of June, um, I went in for a same day surgery and, um, it, it wound up being an eight day stay of which four were in surgical ICU. And, you know, the cliff notes were, um, I think I, it's in my file. I went into septic shock and I kept trying to tell the, the, the doctor and nurse that something was wrong. And, um, they didn't listen until I, I crashed and, yeah, that we're going to have to pick right back up there after our break. Our break is about to happen and we're going to t- pick up right there where she's had to advocate so much for herself and how much this has prepared her for the battle she is. The way that we found each other was actually through social media where we follow each other. And I could tell that she was a feisty um, medical person out there that was out there in the fight for the good fight and putting out some amazing content. And when I tried to follow her, what happens always for people that are out there making a difference 
is they're being actually censored. And it, I'm warned that says, are you sure you want to follow Melissa Molenthe? Because she often puts out misinformation and they're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I know I want to follow her now. Just yeah, exactly. her. That's a guaranteed follow because I know she's doing something if she's doing that. So when we come back, we'll address that. And I want to remind everybody that um, that if you want to find her book, it will be in the America Out Loud bookstore. And also remember everything that makes it possible for us to be on the show is in the shop and you can find our shop at AmericaOutloud.shop. So be sure to check that out. It's time and this is The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. America Out Loud News was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud. I have clinical psychologist Melissa Malentfi here with me today, and we're talking about Um, a lot about patient advocacy and how important it is and how brave she's been. And I want to remind everybody that courage is rare, but it is contagious. And we hope you catch the contagion from Melissa because we all are going to have to fight for ourselves and our loved ones at some point. And I want to remind you that there is a way for you to do that. Now, Melissa's life has seen quite a bit of trauma and she lost both of her parents. She lost her mom in 2010 to ovarian cancer and has a book that will be in our bookstore. And then she has her father that she had to fight for in 2022. She was also hospitalized in 2020 herself, had to fight for a neighbor we all talk about as well in 2021 and had her own son also in the hospital in 2021 that um, a lot of things have put her in the face of medical care and exposing all the errors that are going on. She has a past history working in reinsurance 
um, back as a in medical clinics, but as a, she was a manager that for that for nine years, and she has some insight that that helps her navigate this. So we want to make sure to use all that wonderful knowledge she has and express it. So we left off with your mother and all the medical mistakes that were going on and the suffering you were having to go through for your mom. So let's pick up there and talk about what was going on with the medical community that literally set off a storm of problems that caused your mom more suffering. Yeah, she, um, you know, I, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and, you know, she went through the the protocol with, you know, the chemotherapy and, um, you know, eventually she was debulked. Um, but every, she, she survived eight months um, after diagnosis and every month there was some kind of um, mistake or learning. And, you know, some of them are just inconceivable. Um, you know, when, when one of your loved ones is given a diagnosis of cancer, it's always scary. Um, you know, you're going to take on a different role in, in your family, which which my sister and I did different roles. Um, and, you know, there's a bunch of examples in the book um, of things that happened and, you know, what I did, what I wished I did differently and what you need to do. Um, but one big one was um, after she was op- what they called optimally, optimally debulked, meaning they got all the cancer out and there was only microscopic left. She had to go back into the hospital for four days of inpatient chemotherapy, which they called cleanup chemo. And my sister was there with her in the hospital. And after the first round of chemotherapy, my sister's pretty conservative. And she sent me a text that's in the subject said effing terrible. And with that, I worked for a great employer. I left, I went to the hospital, but before I left, I Googled the chemotherapy that she was being given called ifosamide. Um, when I Googled it, um, I arrived at the hospital and I took one look at my mother and and she had every symptom of chemotherapy, toxicity, except coma and death. And I it was a Labor Day weekend and I told the oncologist, please come here before you leave. He had a boat. I knew he was going to be gone for a couple of days. Please look at my mother. I don't think this is good. I think she's toxic, et cetera, et cetera. He, comes, he finally comes around five o'clock that night. He takes one look at her and he says, She's fine and you need to stay off the internet. So again, we had a little bit of, uh, you know, white coat syndrome. You know, we were told, you know, he said for Connie, we got to be hard. You know, we, you know, there's hope. We have to continue fighting this battle. So, you know, we're, we're all on emotion. My mother basically approved to get another round. It was uh, the second of four, um, you know, the nurses were amazing on this floor. And one of the nurses called me the next morning and she said, you know, she knew my mother, she knew what she looked like when, cause she had been admitted multiple times. And she's like, this isn't the Connie I know, you know, I'm not going to hang the bag until you get here. And I ran over there and again, um, called the oncologist and said, you know, I need you to come here. There's something wrong. And one of his, um, uh, you know, one of his peers came, Again, took one look at my mother. He said, you know, for for your mom, we need to, you know, she just has to go through this, you know, if she's going to live and survive and, you know, the whole spin. And um, so unfortunately, with that, we agreed. And then everything just went south. She was um, could not even move her head in it without throwing up. She was um, uh, cognitively, um, everything was going wrong. She was having delusions. She was having hallucinations at that point, my sister and I couldn't leave. So we stayed there and, um, to make a long, horrible story short, 
on Monday, about five o'clock, uh, the doctor who originally told me to stay off the internet came in and said, um, you were right. She was toxic. And that toxicity, um, basically in, in my opinion, took any amount of hope and fight from my mother because for two weeks, she doesn't even remember what happened to her. And the priest came in about three times and my family was called to the bedside like three times because she was literally dying. Um, and, uh, you know, again, it, it's, it's what I tell people all the time. Like you have to understand your disease. You have to ask the right questions. You have to know what medications and you have to trust your gut if you think something is wrong and do not allow them to yeah, the re reality that you are the patient advocate, you you know your loved one more than anybody else, and somebody's got to be made to listen to you. It, you if you know your mom more than anybody else in the room, they need to be listening to you. And for this doctor to say that you shouldn't be Googling, Google's a pretty reliable piece of information. If you can read basic information, you don't have to mm -hmm. have a medical background to come up with reasonable questions. And sadly, doctors out there listening, you have to answer them whether you like it or not and be accountable to the patient advocate beside the bed. Yes. Yes. That, and, and, and it, it, he, you know, they just, they basically just gaffed my sister and I off until, you know, what, what we thought was happening was absolutely true. And, and, and when he said she was toxic and, and I, at that point I just had had it and I'm like, this is your job. This is what you're paid to do. You're the expert. I work in the reinsurance industry. I'm not paid to understand this stuff, but I can understand it. And I tried to tell you four days ago, but you failed to listen. And they wound up writing a white paper on my mom about, um, ifosamine toxicity with ovarian cancer patients, um, you know, because it's, it's, it's not often that it occurs, but it does happen. That is phenomenal. If we can get that citation, we'll add that to the show notes as well. So people who are out there listening for ovarian cancer can learn about that. Um, so your mother is on her path to a rapid decline at this point because of this toxicity, correct? Is this the, yeah. What actually finally did her in and actually put her on that path to death. Yep. Yep. She, and th there was no, they, they put her on what they tried to call like a maintenance um, chemotherapy, but 31 days after she was optimally debulked, the cancer was back and it was an aggressive cancer. Um, we, I found out later because I was BRCA tested um, that, uh, they were treating for adenocarcinoma and she had a sarcoma. So when they did the biopsy, they only biopsied the ascites. They did not actually get into the tumor. So the platinum chemotherapy that they were giving her never worked. And it was never going to work because they didn't get the biopsy right. It's just, it, it, you can't make this stuff up. Wow. And that is not something you're, none of us are reading about cancer before we have cancer. You're having to read it on the cuff. You're probably having to Google. You need information. This book is probably going to be one of those books that you could read and hear a moving story and learn some things to be prepared in the event that you have somebody you have to advocate for in the future. If I'm not mistaken, it's on the Amazon bestseller list under death and dying. Yep. And uh patient doctor relationships. That, yeah, that was kind of cool. Um, that that happened. And, you know, I, I, I write it, I wrote it like I talk, I, I wrote it like you and I are having a conversation now. And um, the cool thing is that you see that in some of the reviews that people have written. And I've also, um, you know, made it a, another job of mine um, to help raise awareness on ovarian and work with uh, the National Ovarian Cancer Coalition and stuff like that. So because it's just has to be done.
let me ask you this. If she had been diagnosed appropriately as sarcoma versus adenoma and she gotten the right treatment, what was her outlook prognosis according to you? Know, I, you know, I, I would like to say she would have survived it. She could have survived it. The problem was, is that I, in my opinion, I think if they had done the surgery quicker um, and got it out, instead of trying to shrink the mass with the wrong chemotherapy, she might've had a better chance. Having said that, if you look at her pathology, she had four different types of sarcoma, which were deadly and very rare. So I'm, I'm not quite sure, but okay. what would have been better, uh, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, had we known this stuff then, um, my mom went through everything for us, right? Um, you know, uh, I think she knew that it was not going to end well. And um, we, I don't think we would have um, aligned with her to go through all that treatment because it was going to be ineffective. And she might have had some uh, better days um, instead of always being sick from the, the, the treatment. So as y'all are heading toward her last days, you are experiencing medical failure in the medical community. It's contributing to your mom's suffering. And then you actually lose your mom and you go into the stages of grief. What was the impact on you having a, a loved one that passes away, knowing the injustice did happen to her and how did it play its part out in your life? I was, um, I, you know, I DSM five at the time I, I was, you know, textbook depression, acute depression, textbook anxiety, textbook PTSD, because I watched her die and I had never seen a person die before on the couch. Um, I had those images every day at work all the time when I was driving constantly. Um, I, I, again, I worked for a great employer. They told me to take a six month leave because they could see it. I was 115 pounds with clothes on. I would actually layer my clothes because I was so skinny. Um, but I felt like I owed them because they were so good to me when she was six. So I stayed at work, which was a dumb move. I also did not seek help from a therapist because, uh, again, I, I was too smart for it. Right. And I, I should have. Um, I started taking some benzodiazepines to actually have a conversation with people without crying. I took some SSRIs and I was really playing with fire. And um, I wound up. Um, you know, discontinuing the usage because I know it could be addictive. Um, so I, um, you know, I, I write in the book about my journey with grief and, um, you know, it, it was also, I was very angry for a lot of years. We had a lot of misguided hope. Um, we, um, I mean, it, it caused conflict between my sister and I, because, you know, she handled things, I would say better than I did. My father handled things better than I did because I was just so angry and, and it, it negatively infected me both mentally, mentally and physically. And it took me a long time to get my arms around it, but I, I finally did. And, um, you know, sought help and spoke to somebody and I wound up going for almost seven years. Um, you know, and, and me and the, the therapist were more like friends and we would talk about this and that, but, uh, you know, I, you know, it's, it's okay to not be okay. And if you need help, you need to get it. Yeah, that is a very valid point that anybody going through the loss during this last three years or anybody who's lost anybody in general who's had to advocate, you have errors and lack of accountability with the medical people who aren't having to pay the price of their consequences of contributing to suffering for your loved one that's going on and the impact of those that are grieving. And the justice warrior types are going to take it a little bit harder than maybe some other type personalities. 
So in these situations, what people don't realize as non-medical people potentially is your doctor offering you all these medications and these pharmaceuticals is going to contribute to a problem in your life. So thank goodness her medical knowledge knew I am going to go down a path of potential addiction to medications that could harm me and poison me if I do not get off these meds. So we hopefully on Nurses Out Loud will try and address that more on another show. But here we have a clinical psychologist that's sitting here realizing in her own mind she could see herself going down that path. If it can happen to her, it can really happen to anyone. So you go through this terrible story in 2010 and your mom is there. And then you end up in your own father's situation in 2022. You've navigated through that. You've gotten your own hospitalization right during the opening of the pandemic in 2020. And there's eras going on left and right. And then you have a neighbor and a son that end up in the hospital too. So why don't we start with the neighbor and what happened there? Yeah, my neighbor, um, again, he, he was the nicest guy, uh, 68 years old too. Uh, had nothing, uh, absolutely nothing. Um, he, he basically had an aggressive cancer. He didn't have uh, a lot of family locally and he was admitted to a hospital. My husband and I got him into the ambulance and, um, because I'm not vaccinated, I had to get tested to be able to go see him because I knew he needed me. And um, I went to visit him one day and he was good. He was up. He was alert. He was cognitively intact. He was in the chair. I gave him a Dunkin' Donut. It was like I gave him a million bucks. And, you know, we talked on the phone. I stayed all day and I left. Um, a day went by and I hadn't seen him. And I went on, on a Wednesday and in New York state, you had to, your COVID test was only good for three days. So I had to keep getting tested because I'm not vaccinated in order to see him. So when I got to his room, there was a masking tape on his door that said DNR and black magic marker. The day before that I wasn't there, they put a port in his stomach, um, actually a, a drain uh, to drain the ascites. So he was in tr so much pain. He didn't have his glasses on. He didn't have the bed collar. He had no fluids. And basically he was just dying, actively dying and nobody was helping him. And one of the nurses, um, when I walked in, asked me who I was, I had to lie and say I was his daughter because he had nobody. And she's like, you need to fight for morphine. And I did. And the PA came upstairs and she's like, he's on PRN medications. I said, look at this man. Does he look like he can ask for medication? I said, are, are you, are you serious? And she's like, you know, it was a little back and forth. And I said, listen, I will pop a tent in this floor. I am not leaving until you get comfort meds for this man. I will not leave. Call security, do whatever you got to do. And eventually they they got him the medication. Um, I called his sister. I said, you need to get here. And um, I saw kind of the same look when they gave him the Dilaudid and the, you know, all the other meds that they gave him. And, you know, he went to sleep and he ultimately passed away the next day. But my question when, again, I wrote to the facilities, what if I didn't show up? What if I wasn't there? How long ha would this have gone on? Um, and, and how many other people does this happen to? I mean, if our dog gets sick, you know, we, we, we can humanely put them to sleep. This man was suffering, was crying out in pain, and he was on PRN medication. And that means you have to ask for it. He didn't even know his name at that point. Things had changed so quickly. Yeah, here we have Melissa using her anger to help people, her her just her righteous anger to say an injustice is happening to a human that's not even her loved one. 
And we and the, and she's having to use what I call moral deceit, which I have talked to people about that there's a place for it. Like when people were in Nazi Germany having to hire, uh, having to hide people that were Jewish people, that if I have to lie to say that you are to keep you alive, I'm going to lie for your sake. Mm-hmm. And there's people who've been, you know, needing uh, vaccine cards and things like that. There's people that can help people get that so that they can be in the pr- care of their dying loved ones. Moral deceit has a place in Christianity. But, for the sake of the human, because the human is supersedes the the rule. So um, that was just something I want to say out there that is relevant, that she had to use that to be his daughter. I had to be several people's daughter during 2021 who were hospitalized for COVID. And I was amazed that the policy always trumped the patient and the patient suffered. The patients ended up dying. No matter how much litigation was going to come their way, they did not waver from their policy. And there needs to be litigation that's going to do that. So you are in the middle of litigation, but before or pursuing it, we're talking about that, but you also had a son who it was a young man who ended up in the hospital for some chest pain. Why don't you talk about that real quick? He he, he wasn't hospitalized, but I he was getting exercise induced chest pain, and um, it was happening consistently. He's active. He does. He was doing Brazilian jiu jitsu and kickboxing. At the time, he had to wear a mask all the time at school, as we all know. And you know, it was my thought that it was because it was he was getting lack of oxygen and and everything. So I brought him to a pediatric cardiologist. Um, he wound up getting a stress test, um, an echo and everything was fine. So, um, but she was pressing me to get him vaccinated. He had just turned 12 and it was just approved to be 12. And I'm like, how can you sit there and ask me to get my son vaccinated when he's presenting with chest pain? Absolutely not. I'm not doing it. <laughs> it's, it's a no-go item. I go to a, a pediatric pulmonologist, same thing. And they literally, she, she would, I would have to have a debate. It was, wasn't even like the, the, if you had a 20 minute spot, it was 20 minutes talking about my son and trying to figure out what's wrong with him. 15 of the 20 were the hard press of getting vaccinated. And we all know that they were compensated for how many vaccines they were given. And it was just hard. No, I'm not doing this. And how can you even ask me to do this when? There's a chance of cardiomyopathy, particularly in young men. I'm, he's not going to be your your experiment. Absolutely not. And did you say that there were people there that you recognized and you asked questions about how many of these are myocarditis? Well, when my dad was in the cardiology unit at the end of 2022, I looked at the patients walking around and they weren't your typical, what I would say, cardiac patient. You know, you think maybe somebody very elderly, perhaps somebody with um, diabetes, heavy you know, they didn't look to me like the typical cardiac patient. They were, to me, younger, looked healthier, not overweight. And at one point I asked one of the male nurses and I said, listen, I, you know, you don't have to answer this, but how many of these patients have um, myocarditis? Because it doesn't look like the typical cardiac patient profile. And he said a lot. And he, he told me straight up, he's like, they're trying to get me boosted and I'm not doing it. And he's like, if you, um, have not been vaccinated, which I hadn't, um, don't do it. Like, you know, and so basically he was like saying stuff that he probably could get in trouble for, but thank you, you know? 
Yeah, speaking a truth that needs to be said, it's being transferred. Some of those people are your pay, are your loved ones, and you may not even realize medically that you had yep. a loved one who is is uh, is not no longer with us or is permanently harmed because of myocarditis. And last week's interview with the educator that was uh, severely injured by the COVID vaccine, myocarditis. She had a heart attack, myocarditis, and uh, severe diabetes, brittle diabetes now because of vaccine. Within, she was in a diabetic coma within forty eight hours of the vaccine. So wow. on that topic that you have this history um, of dealing with combating medical systems that are doing, uh, making errors, um, not admitting the truth, covering up for, let's say, pharmaceutical companies, there's something called an EEOC that you're aware of. Why don't you tell everybody about that just momentarily? Yeah. In my f- career, when I worked for the reinsurance industry, we wrote um, reinsurance called Empl- Employment Practice Liability Insurance. Basically, it's companies have to buy this in case a suit is brought against them. It's it's an insurance policy for a company. And what I've tried to tell people um, is, you know, if you've been um, wrongfully terminated, if you were harassed, if you did not uh, get the mandated vaccine and lost your job, um, you should file with the EEOC because it's it's easier today than it was 10 years ago. It's a form online. Um, I've, I'm hearing that people are getting responded um, uh, you know, responded to sometimes in three weeks. Um, there is a time frame where you have to uh, put in a claim. I, th- I believe it's three years. Um, but I just read an article uh, in emerging issues in, you know, the reinsurance industry. And I'm kind of an insurance dork, but I, I do like to read this stuff. And from what I read, um, EEOC claims are up. I think it was either 40 or 50 percent from 2021 to 2022. And that's because so many people got fired. And, you know, I think that these, you know, similar to asbestos, I think that these claims are going to be going on in the courts for the next 20 years, because, um, you know, whether it be a a workers comp claim where somebody got injured, whether it's, you know, they were fired and not hired back, um, you know, all this stuff is, is going to be, you know, and people are winning their cases. I mean, it's going to take a while, but people are actually winning their cases. And I tell anybody, you know, NYPD, NYFD, a lot of the nurses, if you were fired, teachers, you know, fill it out. It's it's not going it, to it's it's worth it. And, you know, yeah. I, I just hope that as we keep hearing things in the news of, you know, young kids on the basketball court or whatever, dropping with heart attacks. I'm hoping some of these cardiologists start to come out and and, you know, show their hand and and figure out, you know, or, or, or tell what's actually going on um, instead of, oh, you know, it just happened to be a, a heart attack in a, in an otherwise healthy 18 year old. Yeah. Let's hope for that. And we definitely have lists of lawyers for people to reach out to us and let you get access to some lawyers. Now you're, you got some shut up money offered you. Now, what was that about? Um, You know, it was basically, we, you know, we, we realized that we did not um, do all the right things with your dad and, um, you know, we're willing to do X and, and, you know, you need to sign an NDA. Um, and I asked for a draft of the NDA and they, they won't give it to me. And who, who would sign a contract without <laughs> reading it? Not me. And you know what, in, in thinking about it, um, basically I, uh, oh, a um, non-disclosure agreement. Um, basically I thought about it and I said, you know what, no, you know, and I, I spoke to the people. I didn't like their attitude. You know, I don't like that he was dying anyway uh, thing. I don't like, um, you know, it, it's it's not acceptable. They're not taking accountability. And, um, you know, 
I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being this facility's in service. I'm tired of being this facility's lessened. My family, besides my sister, had every single one of us has been negatively impacted by this facility. And you can add my neighbor to that. And it's just not acceptable. And um, you know, I'm not going to be the one that um, is, you know, not going to expose them. Okay. And if people don't know, Nurse Jody is not taking some hush money either. She's going to take it all the way because she wants justice to happen. And it's a potentially a larger win anyways. But the point is, is that you obviously could lose, but the goal is to expose the truth. Now, you you mentioned something to me about a Hunter 7 Foundation that you discovered. Your husband's ex-military so you're sensitive yep. to that, but they help people. Let's let's shout out for them. Hunter Seven Foundation is a nonprofit that is helping um, our veterans and even active duty military um, that have had exposure related cancers. And they're a wonderful organization. I just, um, if you look on my Instagram, there's a story of a young woman that was um, not taken care of. She had ovarian cancer. They gaffed her off and. Unfortunately, she just passed away in the middle of this July. And, um, you know, they're they're trying to they do everything to raise awareness. And, you know, basically she was gaslit that nothing was wrong with her. And, um, you know, they're, they're a great foundation to both give to and support. OK, so before we get off today, I want to make sure we do tell your website. Will you go ahead and spell that out for us? www.melissamalamphy.com, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-M-U-L-L-A-M-P-H-Y.com. And is that the same name for you on Instagram as well? Yes. Okay, so everybody go give her a follow. Make sure to find out, check out the bookstore where you'll find her book, Not in Vain, A Promise Kept, A Journey Through Her Mother's Ovarian Cancer and Advocating for a Loved One. And that book was written after, before your dad passed away or not? Yes, before. Okay. And so she's got plenty of other material out there that can help you get a contagion called courage that she's out there um, obviously doing for the sake of others now and trying to help you be able to be a good advocate as well to know how to navigate these uh, difficult waters within the medical system. So thank you so much for everything you're doing. I'm so sorry for all that you've gone through to have to learn these lessons and to help other people. But I'm so thankful that you are actually doing something with what you've learned and are helping others. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sure. It's time and this is